By the way, before we start, Chris Bose today made me laugh. What he, happened? <laughs> I'm talking to like some people and everything like that after church. Comes out shoeless, not shirtless, shoeless with a banjo playing. Oh yeah, it made me laugh so hard. They're, get, they're getting ready for uh, <laughs> bonfire. Uh, yeah, bonfire this week. <laughs> made me feel like I was in my old church. <laughs> they have banjos in your old church? I've been to Genesis once or twice. I never saw a banjo, dude. If you know if they're cranking out the banjo, revival's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the strange world of Christianity. We are your hosts, Max Nelly and Zach Hilton. And we are two regular Christian guys who love to talk about theology, and we want to share some of our thoughts about some of the odd or misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith. Yep, that's us. Yes. How are you doing today, man? Man, I am sleepy. <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, Sunday afternoon, you know, lazy lazy Sunday, and I am definitely feeling it. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I just got back from a lunch myself. I'm pretty tired, but I'm but I but I feel good though. I had a good lunch. I yep. had a good lunch. Yep. Uh, so this week we're going to start off with a, a segment called Top Ten. So with this segment, what we're going to do is we are going to I have got a my own top ten list and. Hilton has his own his own top ten list, and what we're going to do is we're going to try and combine the combine those lists together and make one single top ten list. So, the uh, the subject this week for the top ten is '90s uh, Christian worship music and hymns. So old I, school old school bar hymns. Yes, uh, I've got I've got uh, my li- my top ten list of hymns, and he's got his uh, top ten list of 90s uh, Christian music, and yes. we're going to go head-to-head and uh, figure, determine what goes into the ultimate top ten. Absolutely, absolutely. So Let's get into it. Okay, so my number one... Oh, are we going from oh, one oh, to ten or ten actually, to one? Actually, no, let's go, to ten, let's go ten to one. Okay, to sweet. One. Okay, so my number ten is I Surrender All. Give me a kind of you sing so like give me give me a short thing. I surrender all. Oh, okay. All to thee, my blessed Savior. That, that one. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, I on the other hand do not sing, so uh, I'm sorry if I cast something in your room or wherever you're listening to by my singing. But my number ten is "We Fall Down by Passion." Ooh. We cry, holy, holy, holy. Oof. Yes. Oof. Okay. So why? So why do you? Why did you choose that one? Well, it was a tough one because it was between that or um, shout to the Lord. Oof. And um, and here's the thing: I have a horrible experience with shout to the Lord. Oh, do you? Yes. I, I need to hear this. Okay, because did- I was driving, like my mom was driving me to kindergarten, and I was going to kindergarten in the next town over, you know, north, the one that starts with a K that we don't mention. And oh. so um, um, I never wanted to go to kindergarten. And my mother, for some reason, every morning to make me more Christian, would play Shout to the Lord by Hillsong. <laughs> And it did the opposite for a long time in my life. <laughs> it made you hate God. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay, man. But we we fall down. That brings back so many memories. I love. I know it. it's a good one, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, you know what? I, I surrender I, all though is a good one too. It is. I think. But I think I. I think I may have to concede. What I think we fall down may have to be. Okay. Be number ten. I gotcha. I gotcha. Score one for Hilton. Gotcha. All right, what's the next one? All right. This one you're going to like. Okay. Big House by Audio Adrenaline. That's not a worship song. <laughs> you didn't say it had to be worship songs. You just said it has to be Christian music. Did I? Yeah. I could have Listen I back said. to the tape, sir. <laughs> I could have swore <laughs> I said 90s worship song, but okay. Look, playing uh, football with Jesus is not worship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like we're gonna worship Jesus while we eat all this food. Um, <laughs> okay, and my my number nine is uh, because he lives. Because he lives, I can face that one. Yep. 
Okay, I'm going to give it to you. That's a good one. Okay, okay. That's a good one. That's a beautiful song. Okay, so what? Uh, next we've got... Number eight. Holy, holy, holy. That's give me the give me the next like verse to that. Lord God Almighty. Gotcha. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Mine is "Better Is One Day" by Matt Ramman. Oh, better is one day in your courts. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Man, you you picked some good ones. I know. These are good songs. We, so we we determined uh, before. We did this that if we couldn't budge on one, we would have to flip a coin. Yes. And Do you have a coin? I don't. I don't. But I. It's like we may not need it because we keep. It's like we keep finding songs that each other likes. All right. Rock <laughs> so, paper scissors. It's the best way to do it. No, we don't need to do. We don't need to do that. We don't need I'm to gonna, do that. I'm, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to you. Better is one day. Okay. Okay. It's a good one, but I yeah. agree. Like yeah. I like holy, 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 but yeah, it's like. It's the vanilla version of hymns if you give if you want my opinion. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. Number 7, I picked The Heart of Worship. Ooh, ooh, we may, we may Oh, you already feel the tears coming, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So <laughs> when the music fades what? and all ha- Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> I totally would have picked that. I totally would have put that one down if I had the list that you have. Oh yeah. If I was doing '90s worship, I definitely would have put that down. But mm-hmm. I, but unfortunately, I put uh, "Christ the Solid Rock I Stand" or "My My Hope Is Built." Ooh. <laughs> okay, I one. like that one. <laughs> okay. And so, that's tough because, yeah. like, that's a good. Like, I love Heart of Worship, and if they played that now at any church, like. I'm down. Like, yeah. let's go. But yours, that's a good one. I got a special memory with that one. Okay. So that was the first song I raised my hands to. Oh, really? Yeah. Dang. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, mm, I feel that. Okay. So, number seven is Solid Rock. Okay. Yeah. Number six, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Remind me of that. Give me a short thing. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. I don't know that. You don't know that one? Uh-uh. I must have missed that one. Okay. What, what you I got? was probably asleep on a Wednesday night whenever they played it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I put Open the Eyes of My Heart. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, see, I, we, may, we may have to get the coin out. <laughs> oh. I, it's like, I'm not, a fan, I'm not really a fan of that one. Okay. It's not, it's not, it's not horrible, but it's like literally... You just had a bad experience. I've had bad experiences with that song. It's just like I it makes me cringe to think about to think that there's some other church somewhere in America that is in 2020 still <laughs> playing that song. <laughs> and my heart is like my heart goes out to all the all those people in the congregation that are listening to that song, you know, it's like I lift them up in prayer every morning. <laughs> yeah, who needs Cody Carnes? We have mid thirties Michael W. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you got do you have a coin? I do not. I do not. Okay, okay paper, rock, scissors. Uh, we'll just do okay. one paper, rock, scissors. All right. Pa- rock. We'll do do one, two, three, shoot. All right. One, rock, two, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Yeah. Dang it. Okay. Okay. I have won that. <laughs> Open the eyes of my heart. Yes, he's Dang in pain. It. I just if he had any hair, they'd be gray. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I failed you. <laughs> All right. This next one, number five, you're really, really gonna like. Okay. Because you were the one that showed me this song. Oh. The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Saddle up your horses. <laughs> It's a vibe. I was listening to it today on my way here, and it was—it's a vibe. I literally, I literally was uh, listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman's greatest hits like oh. the other day in my car, just for the heck of he's it. He's still going. My, yeah, I know, and it—he still sounds just as good as he did back then. Yeah, that's crazy. But uh, okay, um, I have uh, take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be. All for you. That one? No, no. It's uh, okay. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. <sighs> <laughs> I felt Baptist chills come up my spine. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> okay. I can um, feel the wooden spoon from my mother as I fall asleep drowsily. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but I I did show you I did show you great great adventure. You did, so I, lo- I will give that love, to you. No, I lo- no, I love Stephen Curtis Chapman. I'm actually gonna give you okay. that one. Okay, okay, gotcha. Great, great adventure. <laughs> I okay. gotcha. Okay. Uh next one is Nothing but the blood. This is number four. Yep, number four. Gotcha. That's a good one. Yep. Are we yeah. talking about like what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That one. Yeah, we're talking about like the the old school original. Gotcha. Like, not mad. Not Mad Redmond's version, which I love. Yeah. But we're talking about the old school. Gotcha. The OG. This song for my number four was the first song that Joel Houston ever played. Oh no! Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns, and dude, Rich. So Rich Mullins, if have you ever like looked into the story? Yeah. If you listeners, if you don't know who Rich Mullins is, he was a singer in the uh, the nineties or the eighties. Actually, he wrote that song in eighty eight. He did okay. So he, but uh, he was an incredible person. He he died way too way too young. Um, incredible songwriter, incredible. Uh, human being, take a take a look into his story if you have if you ever have time. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna have to say awesome God. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right, number three for me is breathe. Uh, uh, is that uh? This oh, is the yeah, air I, I breathe. breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that one. Yes. Okay. Uh, I've got turn your eyes upon Jesus. <laughs> Look full in his wonderful face. Mm. That's actually a beautiful lyrical song. I'm going to give you that one. Okay, thank you, because I wasn't going to budge on that one. <laughs> okay, that's a beautiful song. Um. Okay, so next is here. number two is Come Thou Fount. Okay, that's a good one. But I counter with Dive. From Stephen Curtis. <laughs> You're just pulling out all the Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. Okay. Uh. You know, with like the futuristic 90s yeah. keyboard. The music video the music video for that too is interesting. Great. Yes. Um Oh the nineties. Okay. Uh Ooh, this is a t- okay. I'm gonna give We're, it to you just no, because, like, I think, no, we need the Lord needs to decide this one. Okay, through. Lord, work through us as we play paper, rock, scissors. All right, to determine this <laughs> this thing of non uh, non importance. Yes, okay. <laughs> one, two, two three, three, shoot. Uh, the Lord has spoken. Come, come thy fount. It's like don't don't speak evil against. The hymns of the Lord. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. This is my number one song. Okay. My favorite one from the 90s. Gets me in tears every time I hear it. All right. But I can never sing it because it's just too dang difficult to sing. What? Redeemer by Nicole C. Oh! Marlene. Oh! <laughs> no! I love that song! <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to do this to you, Zach, but... Um, I've got it as well with my soul. The story alone. Exactly. The story the story alone the and honestly, so the uh for those of you who don't know, uh It Is Well was written by uh a man named uh, Horatio Spafford. Yep. He lost his business, his wife well not his wife no, it's not his wife. Uh he lost his business and he lost his son to uh sick to sickness. I think it was uh, pneumonia. Yeah, and then he lost all four of his daughters in a, a shipwreck. Yeah, and I think his wife was on the ship as well. Yeah, his wife was on the ship, and she yeah. was the only one. She was the only one that was saved. And uh, he wrote he wrote uh this hymn called "It Is Well with My Soul" after all that happening. And you yeah. know the reason the reason I put that as my number one is because it's so. Like to to hear a song that's so po- that's uh like so worshipful even in the midst of mm-hmm. that kind of pain yeah like that that is incredibly powerful 
And what's the time period that that happened in? Uh, like the loss of his I'll son and then his daughters? Uh, I want to I say it was set 1700s, maybe the 1800s. No, but like the allotted time from oh, the, like the, the death of his son to his daughter. Oh, it, it wasn't. I think it was like maybe a year. Wow. I, it wasn't that like they weren't wow. that far apart. Wow. But yeah, it it's like in that he's like till the day he died, he never like he never recanted. He he just like pursued God even further. Yeah. And it's it's an incredible story. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go with Redeemer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, I, I, I can't I can't budge on mine. We may have to. I don't know. I'm thinking as well, because the memory I have with Redeemer is that was the song that played whenever I found Jesus. And so um, I had a Holy Spirit moment. Pastor gets up to pray. I fall in the spirit. And as Jesus is talking to me, Redeemer is in the background. I learned like that, like I woke up, the room was empty, but they were playing that song as I was like laid out. And let me just say, this was a Baptist youth camp and people were touching me and they were falling over, like falling over in the spirit. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so like not normal. Yeah. And so special thing with that song. And then there was a, I guess he was a football coach or worked with like professional athletes. He spoke at a Liberty University convocation and he played this song and the whole meaning behind the song was there was this dad who was like in his 60s running an Ironman. And he, there was a son, he had a son who I think was like 30, who I think was like 39, excuse me, who had cerebral palsy. He couldn't mm-hmm. walk. And he is going through this Iron Man while pushing his son. Like whether he has him on the front of a bicycle and they're going like something like 25 miles. He's swimming, going 13 miles while he's in a life raft strapped to him. Or he's running and he's pushing the wheelchair. And right at the crescendo of uh, Redeemer, like where the big instrumental, like big, like push happens. Like he's crossing the finish line. It just makes me cry all the time. So we will definitely have to rock, paper, scissors for this one because I don't know if I can budge either. Uh, okay. We're, we're gonna let we're gonna let the Lord decide on all this right. one. Yes. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. <laughs> one, one, two, three, shoot. Okay. It is the, well the, with my soul. The the Lord has spoken and it's Horatio Spafford for the win. But that, but Redeemer is a, still an incredible song. That and is like an inch. Like I would say, it as well is an inch behind. It, it is. It is quite literally leading by an inch. Yep. <laughs> so funny story about this episode is we had actually recorded this uh, two days ago. Yeah. And uh, it was it was honestly very off the cuff. Like we weren't planning on doing this episode. Whenever we had sat down to do it, and like. We uh, like we started talking about one thing and then we completely changed the topic and like I don't know it's just like the Holy Spirit took over and we just started uh talking about the topic that we're going to talk with you about today yeah and um uh, as soon as we were done like we were super confident with it we were I was ready to get into the editing booth and start editing it and then my computer crashed and we lost the entire episode yeah <laughs> so <laughs> we are we are going to attempt to recreate that episode <laughs> this uh this afternoon with you um which this afternoon could be morning could be evening or whatever. in the future or in the future in the future most likely the future most likely but uh <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about uh politics <gasps> i know you know, uh, with the uh, we're coming up to uh, election day, and there's a lot of uh, questions on you know, like how are how are we as Christians supposed to vote? You know, because I mean I know it's everybody's assumption that you know if you're a Christian you just vote Republican. Yeah, that's just, obviously, that, obviously that that's just the party that's the party for Christians. Yeah. right? But uh, even even though you know the Bible speaks to a lot of things that uh, Democrats speak to and social issues. But, Absolutely. You know, but you know what? We're here to. Uh, to dispel all the confusion and to really break down for you how we think our opinion on how you should vote as a Christian. Now I'll be, I'll tell you right off the bat that before you get any ideas on how biased we're going to be, I, e- first of all, everybody has bias. No, yeah. not, even if they tell you they don't, they do. 
But I will. I can tell you that. Rest assured, we actually did not vote for either one of the uh, the two major party candidates. No. So, if you're thinking that this is going to be a all hell Trump or a all hell Biden, it's not. No. <laughs> so no. Feel comfortable about that. We're and we're not just here to just give you our political our own political beliefs, but just to uh, kind of sh- share with you like what we think, how we think you should go about voting and choosing your candidates based on the Christian faith. So. Yeah. With that, uh, let's get started, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my first question that I have here is: is it a, is it good for Christians to get involved in politics at all? And if so, like to what degree? Yeah, totally. Um, I believe that there does need to be a fine line, and uh, what I mean by that is we can become overcome with politics. Yeah. In a way, politics is fun. Yeah. Because we get to choose a side. It's like a sports team. Yeah, exactly. And so you can either wear your MAGA hat or you could be like, okay, I want Biden all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of a fun thing because you each have your own media that kind of supports you as well. And you can kind of like feed into the, the if we're just using the analogy of sports teams, like if I'm all for the Lakers, I can pull into Lakers TV, a.k.a. Fox News. Or if I'm all <laughs> ill, <laughs> or if I'm all into, uh, you know, the heat, if we're talking about the finals, I can go to CNN. Yeah. Exactly. And so those are two things that uh, very much could happen. And uh, I feel like do happen a little bit. But what I would say as a Christian is it really just comes down to each individual issue. Uh, the big thing that I'm going to try, that I believe we're both going to try to do here is we're not going to speak in, um, we are very much a majority culture, but we're going to try and take this on from the specifics. Right. And so a great example of that is we're not going to say things like, well, all people do blank or some people do blank. We're just going to give specific examples so that way we can actually, uh, so that way you can understand our point of view of where we're coming from. Right. So, and, yes, sir. And, uh, so, so basically, like, we're, what we're going to do with this episode is we're going to, uh, because pe- people, when they're going to the voting booth, they're all voting on specific issues. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk through the specific issues and... <sighs> talk about how they relate how they relate to Christianity and how we should think about these issues as it relates to Christianity. So that way you know how to vote the way that Jesus would. Yeah. Although I don't even know if Jesus would vote or not, so but I don't know. If it, but if he did, this is how we think he would do it. That's <laughs> so, a good way that's a good thing to start. Do you think Jesus would have voted? You know if he was an American citizen, do you think he would have voted in this election? You know so looking back on the life of Jesus and the uh, the political climate that he was living in at his time. So he was a uh, he was living in Israel in the time of Roman captivity. Yeah. So at the at this point, the Roman uh, government has conquered Israel. Yeah. And they're they're the ones in charge of the government, and they're oppressive. And uh, a lot of the Jew- a lot of the Jews at that time did not like them, obvious for obvious reasons. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the Jews, when they when they would talk about their Messiah, they are waiting for the person that's going to drive the Romans out and give them their land back. Yeah. And so, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the uh, Jews don't really uh, view Jesus as the Messiah, is because he wasn't a political leader. Yeah. And he, for the most part, stayed out of politics. So I don't know. It's like I really don't know that he would be one to get involved with politics as much as we think. Um, you know, I think I think for us, it's it's not so much about uh, politics, but it's about the issues. Yeah. So you know, one thing I I don't think that uh, I don't think that the gospel needs to suffer at the hands of our politics. Yeah. Um, when it comes down to it. It's not going to be about okay. I want this person, or I want this person. It's I think this issue needs to be fixed. It's like I'm voting on this issue. So, and we're going to be getting into those today and talking about like where should we where should we fall within those issues? Yeah, and kind of help help you to see like if you want to vote, like how how to go about doing it as a believer. Yeah. So with that, let's get started. Um, so uh, let's start with uh. Abortion, pro-life versus pro-choice. Yes. So this is a very hot topic amongst voters, and especially among uh, conservative voters. We as uh, believers believe that in the sa- we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that 
life does start at conception. Yeah. So, um, but there's also the side of pro-choice, you know, a woman's right to choose what she, what she does with her body. Yeah. So, um, Zach, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? I would say as a Christian, uh, I'm speaking for me here. Okay. I do not speak for other Christians cause I'm not other Christians. And so I speak for me in this moment. Uh, I am both pro-life and pro-choice. This is, let me break that down. Yeah. For me personally, I am vehemently pro-life. Like you just said, life starts at conception. I completely believe that. The Bible backs that up. And I believe that is a baby from the point of the sperm entering the egg. Where, uh, where does the Bible back that up specifically? Uh, it talks about it in Psalm 139 where it says, uh, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And it also says in Psalm 51, wherever David is talking, he said, um, in sin, I was conceived. And so those are the two examples that I could see there. And um, so here's my thing. This is the Christian worldview on abortion. This is where I'm pro-choice. I am not going to force anybody to believe what I believe. If you're not a Christian, you do not subscribe to my ideas. So for non-Christians, I am pro-choice in the sense of you can choose to do whatever you want. And so I have a worldview where I believe that that is a baby. But if it comes down to politically, like I cannot tell you what to do with your body, especially if you do not subscribe to what I believe with. Okay, but, but a lot of conservatives would say that it's still murder. It's like... That that baby is not just your body. Yeah. Or it's not just that woman's body. That's a whole other being in and of itself. So you're basically taking the choice of that baby away to in order to, you know, convenience the mother. But uh, I know that there's also another side of this. There's another side of this coin. You know, I think not a lot of uh, not all abortions are necessarily out of convenience. Yeah. I mean, some of these uh babies are conceived through rape and it's like i can only imagine like the kind of trauma a woman would have giving birth to the child of their rapist and having to see that uh that rapist face every day for the rest of their lives and it's like you know and it's it sucks because it's not the baby's fault no and it's not the mother's fault either no and while I still don't think that getting an abortion is going to be the right call in that in that area, I definitely understand why a woman would uh, choose to do that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I would just say to that as well, like, if there is somebody that you know that's in that situation, like, I believe Jesus' Jesus's heart would break over that. Yeah. And But this is something that I found, and it goes into an article I read. Uh, this is from uh, the University of California at San, Fr- at San Francisco did a study of 667 women across 30 cri- uh, across 30 clinics who got abortions. Okay, And they said uh, about a week after the abortion, 71% did not regret their decision. Five years later, 84% did not regret their decision. But I looked at it again. 15 to 10 years later, they 98% regretted their decision. And the reason that that was is because most of the time, like let's just take the example of a girl that's being raped. And I just want everybody to recognize my tone here. Like my heart would break for that, would absolutely break for that. And like I said before, I couldn't tell that woman not to get a abortion. But as a Christian and as a Christian, I would come alongside her and just love on her. That's what that's what I believe our job would be. But I would also say that 10 to 15 years later, that's usually like if there is a woman that has a abortion at 25, she's in her 40s at that time, and then she starts to see different things of what that child could have been. Yeah. Because I believe we all have genetically, um, we all have genetic um, emotives that we that that we all have as both men and women. And I think women are, I think there's a design that women care for their children. Yeah. And um, I, I do agree with that, that maybe a week or five years, they might not like their abortion. I mean, they might not um, agree. I mean, they might not have any feelings about the abortion. But I think at some point it's going to come back and look at them. 
And so I feel like a lot of the t- times with this issue, we look past the emotions of the person. We, we get these people that put these big old walls up just because they're attacking the person's ideals, but we don't look at the emotions of the person. Yeah. Do, would you, what would you have to say about that? I, I, I would 100% agree with that. And, you know, I, it's like there are, there are alternatives, and I feel like women do need to take a look at that whenever they're, uh, whenever they're faced with a situation like this. But um, at the same time, I can understand why even even with these alternatives, that would be hard. I mean, you look at the uh, foster care system now. You know, I know a lot of a lot of conservatives will say, "Well, give birth to the baby and then give it up for adoption." Yeah. Number one, even when you give birth to that baby, it's like you're it's like you're still attached at that point because it's it's genetical. It's built into its genetic. Yeah. But uh, on top of that. It's like a lot of women don't want to have to uh, have the uh, they don't want to have to have the thought of giving up a baby into a foster care system that is severely flawed and broken. Absolutely. There's a lot of kids that are like there are lots of kids that get adopted every year, but there's also a lot of kids that stay in the system like all the way up until they're 18. Absolutely. And like. Some some parents would think would think of these as mercy killings because mm. they you know they can't take care they can't afford to take care of a, a child but at the same time they it's like they can't they don't want to risk not being able to give that child the life that it deserves absolutely so I can again I'm not saying this as I'm not saying that this justifies their decision to get an abortion but I'm but what I'm saying is that. We can ha- we as believers also need to have empathy for these people absolutely and understand and understand where they're coming from before we can even start to have that conversation and also I believe that we as believers that those that are capable really need to step up when it comes to adopting you know I think there's a lot of people that are that are not actually pro-life they're just anti-abortion yeah you know there's a lot of people that uh, if you would if you would ask them you know what their stance on abortion is they'd say abortion is wrong and it's murder it's like okay but are you willing to uh are you willing out to go out and adopt uh, a child yourself yeah and if it's like if every single believer in the united states would just adopt one child that would put a big dent into the uh issue of foster care right absolutely now. like that that would solve a good at least 95 percent of the problem and uh it's like I don't think that we as Christians are ready to step up. We're just we just want to we basically want to be right. Yeah. And we don't want to have any compassion. We don't want to have any empathy for the people that are faced with these really tough decisions. So Which this is something else to add is if you're anti-abortion and let's just say planned parenthood gets defunded by uh the government, Okay, what if like uh, one of these uh, private leftist companies refunds Planned Parenthood, and then it's now a private corporation, and you can do nothing about it? Yeah. And so, even if uh, they make abortion illegal, that doesn't stop people from getting abortions. It's now just a illegal thing, and so it doesn't stop abortions. It just creates this reoccurring cycle of you, um, of you ending abortion. Then it becomes underground, but people are still getting abortions. There's no way to get rid of abortion. Yeah. And so this is the whole issue with this with this is you can't get rid of abortions. All you can do is just push them underground and if there is enough people that want to bring it back up and get uh and get a federal funding again, there's nothing going to stop them because they can vote it back in and then this is just a circular thing that will happen for decades. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of conservatives are very adamant about their stance on pro-life and on planned parenthood and on abortion. But and this isn't to say that you shouldn't stand against it but when when you make your stand understand this it's no matter what you do it's not gonna it's not gonna go away anytime soon in fact i believe that it's just gonna get it's gonna become more prevalent it's just gonna get worse yeah and number two when you're making your stand have empathy for the for these people that are going into uh, these clinics and wanting to get abortions because it it's not always just a I had a one night stand was irresponsible sexually and you know now I don't want to have this kid yeah like a lot of times it's so much deeper than that and we as Christians don't need to be known for our hatred of uh, abortion we need to be known for our love for children or our love for life yes so, and um, the life of the mother yeah for sure for sure. 
Moving on, uh, another another issue is uh, immigration. Mm. Open open borders or tight borders? Well, my viewpoint on that is is it really just comes down to justice or mercy. Let me break that down for you. Is as Americans, we need to be as patriotic as we can without uh, giving up our belief system. Okay, so we need to support our country. We need to be proud of who we're from. Like a perfect example of that is Paul was extremely proud that he was a Roman citizen. And so he was both a citizen of Israel and Rome. And it allowed him to get to certain places so that way he could bring the gospel to Rome. In that same way, we should be proud of ourselves as Americans and be as patriotic as we can. And so uh, it really just comes down to we need to protect our country because it gives us the freedoms that we have to believe what we do. So it, uh, the best way to see this with immigration is it comes down to justice or mercy. Let's not talk in generalities about uh, cartels or terrorists or anything like that. Let's not identify people by how they look. But let's just say our immigration system takes every single person. They have a background check of where they're coming from. So I would say something along the lines of like a background check from your past country if you have that. Yeah. And uh, ask a couple and ask questions and actually learn what it means to be American. And if they don't want to be American then why are you entering our country? Well, you know, and I think even beyond that, the majority of immigrants that come to this country from somewhere else are seeking refuge. They're trying to make a better life for their own families. And I can't uh, hold that against them. I can't hold that against anybody. Yeah. You know, um, especially if you're going to come here and you're going to pull your weight. Because, I mean, as, as Americans... As you know, just countrymen in general, we're expected to uh, pull our own weight to make sure that this country runs the way it does. Absolutely. So, uh, if they're doing that, if they're paying their taxes just like everybody else, then I don't see any reason why we shouldn't we shouldn't allow people to come in, come into this country from other countries. You know, I mean this this country was built by immigrants. Yeah. Um, and. It's like we wouldn't have the technology, we wouldn't have the food, we wouldn't have a lot of the legislation, we wouldn't have a lot of things if it weren't for immigrants. America would just not exist. So, while I do think that there's some wisdom in having having screenings to some degree, I don't think that they need to be as, uh, I don't think they need to be as strict as they are currently. Okay. You know, um, what? What were you saying about uh, justice and mer- justice versus mercy? This is what I would say is for the example that you gave with refugees. If these people are willing to uphold to the values of America and to become American citizens and go through the process of that, and um, you know, like you said, work and pay taxes, we should have mercy towards them and allow them in. But there also comes a point as well where this is where I believe in those areas we need the Holy Spirit of saying, okay, why are you coming here? Because I believe because there's a lot of places that want to destroy America. Yeah, there are, and there's a lot of people who want to destroy America from the inside. Yeah, and I'm pro-American. I'm very much pro-America, and I would have a problem of that living in this country of inviting people in whose their sole proprietary need is to destroy this country. Right. And I would say justice needs to be done in the sense of if they are coming in with ulterior motives to destroy this country, they need to go. Yeah, and you know, I think of something that uh, most Americans don't think about is how hard it actually is to get your citizenship for this country. Now, granted, I've heard that in other countries, it's much harder, but... Stelly, have you ever been to a DMV? <laughs> Dude, I, the DMV is the second circle of hell. Yes. Um. <laughs> so think about that entering a country. The DMV entering a country? Like, the same premise and everything like that. Like, you wait in a waiting room all day. <laughs> yes. Not like you have a life because you're at the DMV. You're in a parallel universe at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, like, you go up there and you need to have all your papers. If you don't have all your papers, you have to you have to leave and come back and do it all again again uh, another yeah. day. Yeah. That's the, entire, the same. The entire process, not just part of it. Yes, the entire process. Yeah. And so the whole thing with that is, I believe that's how the border stuff works. I think there needs to be reform. 
yeah. like you're saying. And so I do not believe that we need people. We need people there who are passionate about this, who want to see people come in that both have justice to protect America, but also mercy so that way they could have the benefits of America as well. Yeah. And I do think it, like you said, it does need to be easier for people to get into here through the systems and everything like that. But I believe it also takes a lot of discernment. Yeah, it does. And I mean, if, if you think about it, I mean, Jesus himself was an immigrant. So yeah. when uh, when Herod uh, basically put out the hit on put out the hit on all the children of uh, the newborn children of Israel, yeah, or the newborn boys, I should say, yeah, Joseph and Mary and Jesus all immigrated to Egypt, yeah, until King Herod died, and then they came back. Absolutely. So I mean, I don't know what the uh, process would have looked like for Egypt back in that time, or if even there was a process, but uh, it's like there, it's like. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just thinking like Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby. <laughs> you had to do that by memory. Oh my That's god. How you got in. <laughs> that was the process, I'm sure. <laughs> it's like, do you know the song of our people? <laughs> I'm so sorry, boy. If you miss one hand motion, you're out. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, there there are plenty of uh, examples of immigration within the Bible. Yeah, and ultimately, I think, like you said, we we do need to have a sense of justice. We do yeah. need to be able to protect our uh, country because we do need to protect our families. Yes, sir. And that's a, and that is a commandment from God. Yes, sir. Is to look out for your family, but at the same time. As Christians, we need to be able to show mercy. We need to be able to show compassion. And, you know, I think by not making our border policies so strict, I think that uh, one of the ways that we can show mercy to uh, immigrants. Absolutely. Coming to our country. Absolutely. And honestly, a lot of immigrants, like, I know a lot of people think that immigrants come over here and they take jobs from, they take jobs from, uh, you know, hardworking Americans, but the truth is they actually end up creating more jobs and <laughs> like do a lot more work than a lot of us lazy Americans want to do. That's a good point <laughs> as well, is it's not so much that they're taking the jobs, it's the employers who are hiring them. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point because people will say, oh, these immigrants are taking my jobs. Well, who's hiring them? Because if you can hire an immigrant for less pay than you are working for, then that's not the immigrant's fault, that's the employer. Exactly. And that's a that's a whole nother issue in and of itself. But and if anything, the immigrant is just doing what they were told to do. They're told, okay, go work. They're working. Yeah, exactly. They don't know what minimum wage is because all they know is that they're getting a wage. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's more than what they were making from wherever they're coming from. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and move on. Um, let's talk about the uh, the racial tension <laughs> since we're. Since we're already started talking about that, let's talk about the racial tension that's uh, here in America. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Black Lives Matter? Well, uh, I've I want to say uh, I support Black Lives Matter, and I looked on their website to see what they actually believe, and a lot of the things that they believe are for equality. Uh, they are for equality for uh, black people, and it's a call to action for the. Uh, for uh, black people who are in a lot of these institutionalized uh, race that are suffering from uh, systematic racism. And let me break that down. So um, there is such a thing as privilege. Everybody has privilege. Okay. I am white. I sound white. I am English and German. I'm about as white as you can get. Okay. <laughs> so if I walk down um, in our city, Washington Boulevard, which is mostly where more black people live, I would have a certain privilege. I wouldn't have the certain privilege that if I was black would have. I would be stopped and, I don't know, something bad could happen to me. I'm not insinuating that something would. I'm just saying something could. Yeah. But where, uh, let's just say we're in the west end of our town where it's a lot nicer. There's a lot nicer neighborhoods. That's where a lot of the apartment complexes are. Um, and I was walking there at 3 a.m., I probably wouldn't get stopped by the police. 
Yeah. So I believe we all have privilege. It's just whether or not your privilege works for the environment in the area that you're in. Yeah. And so if I'm walking down, like if a black person is walking down uh, Chicago at 3 a.m., like downtown Chicago, they're probably going to be left alone. But for me, I might something might happen to me. I'm not saying that because I don't know, but it could happen. But in the same way, I do believe that there are systematic racism in the fact that black people are pulled over more percentage-wise. There are more white people percentage-wise than black people. But if you look at the percentage of black people who get pulled over compared to white people, it's a staggering difference. What, what's the, uh, what are the stats on that? Uh, 75%. Really? Yes. Jeez. And so and this was, a taken, this was taken from uh, Snopes in 2015. And so um, black people have been stopped and frisked more than white people uh, by percentage and have been pulled over by the cops more. And uh, But one thing that I found surprisingly is the in 2019, the black death by uh, police officers was down. I think it was uh, 3%. And so, but for white people, it was up by 15%. And so it really just comes to show that these are not like... They happen, but they're not always happening all the time. Yeah. And so, and this is from one area and different things like that. And there's only 697,000 police officers in America. There's not even a million cops. Yeah. And so, like, out of that percentage, yes, black people are pointed out more. And I do believe the institutionalized racism comes in by profiling. Yeah. Like, if there's a black person that commits a crime and you pull over another black person, you assume that's a black person that did that crime, that's profiling. Exactly. And I think that's a big problem. And I think as a Christian, uh, especially for our law enforcement, we need to ask questions. Yeah. You know, I think uh, it's easy to sit on our uh, couches and to watch this on TV or watch this on Facebook and, you know, form an opinion just based off of the uh, information that we're getting. But uh, there's there's just like you said, there's plenty of information out there like the stat the stats. You had to go look for those stats. Yeah. It's like, you know, I know it's uh, a lot of people, you know, hear things like this and or th- they hear things like uh, white privilege. Yeah. You know, and they'll say, you know, I don't have white. I don't have privilege. It's like I grew up. Po- I grew up poor, too. Yeah. And it's not so much that you weren't poor. Yeah. It's, you weren't poor due to your skin color. No. It's like, or it's not, your skin color is not stopping you from getting something better. Yes. And uh, that's that's a problem that a lot of black people deal with in this country. Yeah. That's a reality. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also the fact that 150 years ago, black people were slaves. Yeah. That's not that. It's that's like, not that long ago. No. And That's only like four generations ago. And even smaller than that, segregation was still a thing in the 60s. Yes. Like the uh, the Civil Rights Act didn't pass until ni- until 1964. Yes. So like that means there there are older people, there are older black people that lived through that. Yes. That were alive when that was going on. They saw black restrooms, white restrooms, black entrances, white entrances. They understand racism, and I feel like that's something very important for white people to hear is you can throw facts all day, but these are a group of people who have been oppressed, Yeah, and you need to treat them with the honor as Christians that we do. It says in Ephesians 2 that we are God's workmanship. It talks about later in that chapter as well that we should only see two groups of people as Christians, Christian and non-Christian. We don't look at skin color. We don't look at those kinds of things. Skin color is important because of the history that it comes from. Yeah. But for our black brothers and sisters in the in America, they we need to understand that the wound that they have is still fresh. If you hit that wound, it's still going to hurt. Yeah. And so the best thing that we can do with that is we need to treat them with honor. Yeah. And so this is what I would challenge every single person, black, white, uh, Latino, Asian, whatever, is get out of your comfortability, learn about other cultures, learn about other peoples. Because if you really want to grow as a Christian, we need to be able to understand these different cultures and how Jesus can move in them. Yeah. And I think that's extremely important is if we focus on our homogenized uh, areas and cultures, like if... I'm a, me as a white person hang around all white people, I'm going to miss a lot more relationships. Yeah. 
And this is something I saw I sought out from a lot of my black friends is I was able to um, ask them, guys, I would love to hear the history of your people. I would love to hear the history of your culture and how you guys have experienced some oppression. It was about four black people and me in a room, and they just they helped me understand what they've been through as a people. And it really just painted a beautiful picture of a story of redemption, but also oppression. Yeah. And I would like to say, yes, sir. No, go ahead, go ahead. And I would like to say this as well, is I'm a charismatic. You could tell that from the first episode. I'm yeah. very charismatic. <laughs> it was black people who were in slavery that would go to church on a Sunday and would praise God because God taught them freedom. And even though they didn't, they were not free, they were free in their souls because that's what the Bible said. So whenever freedom truly happened, that's why if you ever go to black churches, there's a lot more celebration because they understand what freedom really means. Yeah. Now, I would, I would also add, though, that that can also cause more wounds for black people as well, like when it comes to Christianity, because where did they, le- where did they learn Christianity from? They learned it from white white preachers. Yeah, while they were enslaved, they they would uh, they learned it from their slave owners that would not let them read anything, but they'd give them a Bible. Very duplicitous. Bible. Yeah, yeah, it would be duplicitous. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I can understand where, like you know, maybe a a black liberal would be coming from when they talk about when you're talking about religion, and they say, uh, it's like, well. It's like, where did we get Christianity from? Or I can see why there would be a wound right there. So what would well. be your, so let's just say one of these black uh, leftists are listening to this. What would be your response to them? My response would be, take, my response would be, I understand, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And I do, it's like, I understand why that's such a, why that's such a deep wound. And yeah. The first thing I would do is apologize on behalf of. Absolutely. Why, of just white Christians for not stepping up sooner. Yeah. At the same time, it doesn't wipe away what's true. Absolutely. And, you know, I believe the Bible, I believe Jesus to be true. Mm-hmm. So regardless of, like, what your background is, what your color is, what your, uh, like, what your culture is, it's like, if what Jesus said is true, you can't come against that. Absolutely. What would you say? I would say to uh, the black liberal, the black leftist that's listening to this is I understand the wound that you hear uh, whenever you think about Christianity. Because for the most part, you think white. Yeah. But I would also like to tell you this. Jesus wasn't white. Jesus is not white. Yep. He would, he's a Middle Eastern man. And the whole thing is um, Jesus, he, um, he comes into cultures. And he loves culture. He created a culture himself. The thing he preached was the kingdom of God. Kingdoms have culture. And the whole thing that Jesus would say to this is Jesus was the first feminist. He fought for equality for all people. There's a story in the Bible where he talked to a Roman centurion who was the most hated group of people in Israel at that time because they were enslaving them. And Jesus uh, healed a Roman centurion servant. Jesus talked to all people. The gospel is incredibly inclusive. And I just want to apologize as a man, as a Christian, as a white person, to any kind of hurt that you've had. Jesus loves you, and I'm so sorry that you have experienced that kind of hurt or trauma in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, with the movement of uh, Black Lives Matter, Ultimately, it's it's coming from a place of hurt and it's coming from a place of frustration. Yeah, because you know, I think a lot of people in the black community have tried to move forward, but because evil is always going to exist, prejudice, no matter how far we've come, it's still gonna it's still going to exist in some form or fashion. I mean, there's still people that are white supremacists, like they still exist, and you know, there are some people that wouldn't say that they're white supremacists, but that still or have some kind of prejudice against people of another race. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's on black and white side, too. But it's like, it's more prevalent in white communities. I see that, too. So I mean, we're in Texas. We see that often. Yeah. And so in the South, it's a sad thing, but one of the wounds of the South is racism. Yeah. And um, 
I believe the best way to fight that is there's a lot of racism in churches. There's a lot of racism in um, a lot of politics and everything like that. And what I would say to that is, as Christians, we need to stand just as much against those kinds of thoughts as anything else. Yeah. Jesus created these cultures. Yeah. You know, I, I hate it when people uh, come up to me and tell me that they don't see color. Because that's... <sighs> I know. I cringe it's, at that. It's so ignorant. Because... It's not that I don't see color. I do see your color. I do see that you, Zach, are a white man. I, it's like, I see black people. I see Hispanic people. It's like, I see Asian people. And they're all beautiful. They're All their cultures are so rich. And while it's not my personal culture, and, yeah. and I mean, I'm Native American, um, so it's like... Uh, it's it's hilarious when white people tell me you know. That yeah, you're racially racist. ambiguous. We don't know what you are. <laughs> I'm I'm dark skin. I'm dark skin. My um, uh, it's like I'm part white and part Native American. But uh, <laughs> as a man that is a uh, mix, it's like I see all these cultures and I have like I don't think they, think that they need to be segregated. I think you need to be sensitive to the cultures. Yeah. You know, I mean, talking about like a cultural appropriation, you know. I don't, it's like, I do think that you need to be sensitive to the cultures, but I don't think that we need to segregate these cultures. I don't think that we need to keep them separated. I think that we can all celebrate the different cultures that are around us. Absolutely. And I think that's what uh, Jesus wants us to do. Absolutely. But um, as far as, uh, as far as uh, Black Lives Matter, I support, I support the, uh, the movement behind Black Lives Matter. I, it's like. I definitely believe that black people are ha- going through specific issues right now that need to be addressed mm-hmm. and they don't need to be ignored. And Absolutely. Like, and the reason we have a lot of these riots is because they've been ignored for so long. You know, um, they it's like they've tried legis- they've tried to uh, influence it through legislation and because because of the bureaucracy that we have, it's like it keeps getting overlooked or it keeps getting pushed aside and or just ignored. So I don't blame. It's like I don't blame them for feeling like the only uh, other option they have is violence at this point. Yeah, that's not not that I condone the violence, but I again, I understand why, and I have sympathy and I have uh, empathy towards those people. Absolutely, and for me myself, like um, I would just like to say, Black Lives Matter, the organization. Like this could be just my ignorance, but. I understand the movement, but I don't know, understand like what you guys are for because you get all these donations and everything like that. And I never see Black Lives Matter, the organization, helping any of these inner city communities that you were asking the yeah. government to help. And so this isn't me. This is just a critique that I see. Doesn't mean I don't support you. It's just I would like to see where your money is going to that I'm donating to you. Yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, but yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our uh, our next topic, and uh, talk about uh foreign policy. How friendly should we be with other countries? Hmm. You know, I think this I think this could tie into the uh to immigration as well. So, well, it goes back to us as Americans, and this is my view. Okay. Um, I'm an isolationist. I believe in, um, well, this is a kind of a conflict within me, is I'm an isolationist in a sense of we should let the world handle the rest of the world. America shouldn't be everywhere handling every single part of the world's problems. But at the same time, as a Christian, our, go- our goal is to go out into the world and make disciples. Yeah. So I'm kind of torn with this because as a Christian, we need to reach the world. Yeah. But as a American, we don't need to be in every single of the world's wars. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And so what I would say is I'm glad we have the freedom with our technology now to go anywhere in the world. Not at the moment because of the Rona. Yeah. But, like, that's one of those things. Like, we have the freedom to go anywhere in the world. So I would believe this is where the separation between Christian and American comes in. Is, as a Christian, I can go anywhere and spread the gospel. Yeah. There's going to be persecution there. But as a American, I don't believe we should be everywhere. What are your thoughts on that? So I definitely believe that we are called to go into all the nations and to proclaim the gospel. I, I believe that in order to do that, even though we have the technology to, you know, get get the message out to other countries by other means, like video, 
social media, uh, you know, YouTube, things like that. But there, it's like, I think that we also need to be going out into the world and building relationships with people. Because, yeah. I mean, being a disciple is so much more than just hearing the gospel message and then responding to it. It's, it's about building relationships with other Christians and other believers that are in your area. And that it's like, in order to build those relationships, you need to be there. You need to be present in those, in those situations. So with missionaries, you believe in long-term missionaries and not short-terms. Yeah, exactly. So what would you say to, um, would you believe that if there's a long-term missionary, let's just say, uh, we know a couple that is in Mozambique. Yeah. So would you, they live there full time. I mean, they have, I don't know, 24 children and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like we're friends with one of them. Shout out to you, Cannon, um, uh, that lives there and he's from Mozambique and he recently came back to the U.S., but you, that would be your view of missionaries is long-term and for short, short-term just to visit? Yeah, I w- I'm 100% for long-term missionary work because the point of being a missionary is going out and building those relationships. And you can't build, you can't build a solid relationship within just a week and then just go back. You need, that, need, that relationship needs to be maintained. And I think the best way to maintain that is to be present in that area. But, um, you know, as far as, like, uh, the American government's relations with other governments outside of our country, you know, I think that while there are some countries that are just going to be hostile no matter what, and and there are countries that are not going to, that don't represent, like, our Christian ideals. Yeah. It's like, I do believe that there is some wisdom in trying to maintain good relationships with uh, people in other countries. There are other countries that... Maybe they're a little bit different from us, but that want some of the same goals and have some of the same just like general moralistic ideals. Absolutely. You know? so, but uh, I think that uh, I think that we as Americans, no matter no matter what, we should we should always take the high road when it comes to uh, when it comes to keeping those relations. You know. Yes, sir. But uh, that's a good point. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to? No, I feel like on this one we pretty much hit it because there needs to be a clear distinction between us as Christians personally and us as Americans. And I think as uh, and I feel like this is extremely important is with all these issues like we can have opinions that differ as Christians as Americans. And so I can be a Christian American who believes in isolationism and I can and there can be another Christian American who believes that we should be in every country to protect those who can't protect themselves. I could see the I could see both sides of that. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that I what I believe is wrong or right. I just think that for us as Christians, we should be ahead of the rest of the world in the sense of we can disagree and still love each other. Yeah, absolutely. The what world I- should be looking at us for our disagreements. Yeah. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up. Uh, you have any other closing thoughts? Um, not really. Um, I just want to say again, these are our opinions, and uh, the things that we believe are might be universally held by Christians, might not be. But the whole thing as well is we just need to create a dialogue among Christians so that way we can just discuss these things that are considered taboo. This is the whole reason of this podcast is to cons- is to talk about the things that might be misunderstood within our faith. And politics is very misunderstood within our faith. Yeah. So if we could answer any questions, uh, we're, we're not trying to sway you in any way. We were just telling our opinions. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to this. Yeah, I, and I would just, I would just close with this. The, uh, the, if you don't get anything else from this podcast, understand this. Our goal as Christians is to not uphold politicians. Yeah. Or not, and not to uphold policy, so to speak, but to uphold the agenda of Jesus. Yes. It's like we are Christians before we're Republican. We're Christians before we're Democrat, Libertarian. Birthday like, party. Birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we are, we are Christians before any of this. And we are here to represent Christ. So even like with people that you differ politically, it's like you still have a responsibility to show love towards them. You still have a responsibility to show compassion towards them and to honestly just listen to them. Listen to why they're voting the way that they vote. You know, I think uh, our country has 
as far as politics go, it's become very divided. Yeah. And I know one thing's for sure. Jesus did not promote division. Nope. Jesus promoted unity. Yep. And I know there are Christians on all different sides of the spectrum. And if we're going to further God's agenda, if we're going to further the calling that Jesus has on our lives and the calling that Jesus has for America, yeah, we need to be able to put our pride aside Put our politics aside and to be able to listen to each other, absolutely, and to have the and to have these conversations with the intent of furthering God's kingdom and not uh, the American agenda. Absolutely. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, whatever platform you're using to listen to us, be sure to leave a rate and a review and give us a follow. Uh, if you'd like to know more or interact with us, you can uh, email us at strangeworldofchristianity at gmail.com. Or you can add us on Facebook at Strange World Pod. That's Strange World P O D. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Actually, um, so I found out that uh, I was in the car with my wife, mm-hmm. and she brought up an excellent point that I never really thought about. Yeah. Sharks don't even know that camels exist. Yeah. It blew my mind. I never thought about that before. There's a reason we're at the top of the food trend, buddy. Yep. We know. I mean, think about a lion trying to just, like, think about a lion trying to describe a well. Or you're trying to describe a well to a lion. You would think it lives on another planet. Yep.